Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, we work too hard, feel overwhelmed, our hearts get broken, we worry about the state of the world. We meditate because we're human. Our app gives you hundreds of meditations from over 30 leading experts. It helps a lot. And if you haven't tried the app yet, you can now download it for free and explore a starter series plus a sample of some of our favorite guided meditations in the Discover Collection. You may also want to check out our new meditation collection focused on mindful eating and our collection and course all about mindfulness at work. And if you've already got the app, check out the new unguided meditation timer where you can create your own meditations with or without our brand new pretty amazing music tracks. And don't forget the eight free meditations on Alexa. Just ask her to enable Meditation Studio. Today's guest is Bay Area therapist, Leora Fulvio. Leora uses a number of different therapeutic practices to help people who are challenged with eating, self-esteem, and relationship issues. Mindfulness, not surprisingly, is at the core of much of the work that she does. Leora talks about mindful versus mindless eating, we've all been there, and how important it is to really pay attention to our bodies and how we feel. She says we get thrown off by the black and white thinking we have around food, what's good, what's bad, and that we need to unlearn this to sense more fully into what's good for our bodies without restricting ourselves. What are you really craving is a question she likes to ask. Often we eat when we're sad or angry or simply needing a hug. She suggests several ways to interrupt our compulsive behavior gives us ideas on how to cultivate more love for ourselves. Now, here's Leora. Leora, welcome to Untangle. I'm really happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, it's 2018 and I know people are thinking a lot about how to really make a fresh start. What are some of the things that you suggest for making changes, especially related to good eating habits? Yeah. Well, the very first thing that I ask people to do is not restrict any food. So rather than going to a place of you can't, you can't, you can't, always going to a place of you can, rather from going to a place of you shouldn't or you should, going to a place of you could or you could not. And this is because this pejorative, punishing, restrictive idea that we have, this diet culture, diet mentality, brings on a lot of backlash and a lot of disordered eating to begin with. If diets actually worked, people would go on one diet once and never have to do it again. But as we know, people are on diets constantly. Why is it hard for people to shift eating habits in the long run? And why don't diets work? Why do they constantly fail? But why is it easier for us to make a commitment to sort of a short-term diet than to long-term overall changing ourselves? 
I think it's the way that we look at diets and that we consider diets. We sit there and we say, okay, I am going to go whatever, low carb for 30 days and just eat meat and eggs and nothing else. And I'm going to lose all the weight that I want to. And then I'll go back to eating normally. Right. But that doesn't actually happen. We get into this vicious cycle where we will not eat our demonized foods, in this case, carbohydrates for two days, three days, maybe. And then our body will just jump in and say, you need that apple. You need that piece of bread. And because of this black and white thinking has been set up, it's not just one apple. It's not just one piece of bread. It's, oh my God, I ate a carb and I'm not supposed to eat carbs for 30 days. So I'm going to eat every single carb that I possibly can because tomorrow I'm going to start on this 30 day thing again. So we have a lot of black and white thinking. There's a lot of good versus bad, good evil thing, especially around eating. Oh, I was so good today. Or, oh, I ate that cookie. I was so bad, right? I mean, you didn't kill an orphan. You ate a cookie. Mm -hmm. And we have all of these setups right now in diet culture of eating something like a cookie is bad. Eating something like kale is good. And not just the act is good, but you're good. And this idea of good versus evil sets up a lot of just like a trap for us, a psychological trap. And so it makes us crazy. I was bad, so I'm going to be bad for the rest of the day. Tomorrow I'm going to be good. And then you're not eating anything but lettuce and broiled chicken. And then you walk into your office and somebody put out a tray of cookies and you don't even think about it and you eat one. So what I suggest is rather than saying, I can't have anything, instead saying, I am going to really fill my plate with high density nutrient food. I'm going to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and things that make my body feel good. And if there happens to be a cookie there, sure, have a cookie, then that's it, right? Like having one cookie and then moving on and knowing that maybe you can have another cookie the next day is a lot different than having one cookie and saying, oh my God, that has just sabotaged me. Mm-hmm. So I need to have a hundred more. So which is black and white thinking. Right. For some people, they do have a hard time with not having black and white thinking. And like, so when you suggest yeah. have a cookie, There are some people that will have a cookie and then they'll say, well, I had a cookie today, so might as well have a second cookie or a third cookie and just enjoy the cookies. So there must be some middle way. I understand what you're saying about give yourself more freedom to eat the things that you want. But in that sense, you also have to trust that your body will know when to shut down. That's right. Yeah. So how does that happen for people that have that kind of, I want more than one cookie? Absolutely. So I think part of it is unlearning self-hatred. I call it. (laughs) So you have a cookie and then there's a part of you that says, I want another cookie. So what we do at this point is dig in and try to access our wise selves. Mm -hmm. And we think about what part of me wants another cookie and what part of me wants to take care of my body. And is the part of me that wants another cookie actually sabotaging what I'm trying to do here does my body actually want another cookie? Check in with your body. Take a deep breath and ask your body, what do you need right now? And 
your body might say, I actually need water right now. Actually need to get out of this office and take a walk around the block right now. I'm really stagnant. I'm really mm. bored. My craving is not so much to eat, but it's to get some space and give yourself a break. I also say, if you really can't think of anything else to do, give yourself 20 minutes. Say, okay, I can have that cookie, but I'm going to take 20 minutes. I'm going to set this timer on my phone or on my computer, whatever it is, for 20 minutes. And when 20 minutes is up, if I still want that cookie, I can get it. But at least it's not a compulsive act. I've been able to interrupt that compulsion and let myself do something different. And one of those things that you can do, I really like doing some deep breathing to calm your body down. And that, just doing deep breathing right into your belly, taking a deep breath into the count of five, holding it to the count of five, and then exhaling to the count of five doing that for about a minute. You could do that in your office. You can do that anywhere to calm down the urge, calm down the impulsivity and come back to yourself and be able to ask yourself, what do I need right now? What does my body need? What does my mind need? What am I looking for? What does this cookie actually represent for me? And the impulsive behavior is dictating your actions. Yeah. I love what you're saying about digging in and accessing our wise selves, because often when we, we react to something, we forget that there's that wisdom mind there. How does mindfulness play into this process? Because when you say you're interrupting the compulsion and you're calming the urge, it is that choice that we have to respond in a wise way versus react. And I think in my mind, that's a lot of mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about mindfulness in terms of eating and being in your body, it's really stopping to notice what your body actually needs. And we almost never do that. We certainly don't do that when we're dieting, right? Because that's somebody else outside of you telling you what to eat without you thinking about what your body needs. And we don't do that when we're binge eating or compulsively eating because that's the food or the impulsive urge telling us what we need to eat. And your body knows, your body has all the wisdom of what it needs to maintain all of your organs and your respiration and all of your activity. And those cues get really confused because of several things, because of what is put in food right now, all of these addictive substances that a lot of the food industry uses, number one. Number two, a lot of marketing campaigns, never-ending possibles, whatever it is. And then number three, the dieting culture. If you ever watch TV, you'll watch a commercial and the first commercial is for some kind of diet, like Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem. And then the next commercial is for an endless pasta bowl. So how difficult is it when everything outside of us is messing up our cues? How difficult is it for us to come back to our body and say, what do you actually need? What do I need? What do I need? Am I hungry? What does my body need? And I really recommend asking that question several times a day. Am I hungry? What does my body need? And really listening and then being able to give your body what it actually needs. And that's really mindfulness. That is allowing yourself to understand where your body has 
needs that nobody else outside of you can know. So there's a big shift now to be paleo or to the opposite, be vegan or to do these raw juice fasts. And sure, those might be good for some people, but not for all the people. And somebody outside of you can't tell you what your body needs. You have to go in and really be with your body and notice what it needs. And mindful eating is more than just asking your body what it needs and hearing it. It's eating some food and then noticing how it affects your body. So, okay, I ate this piece of broccoli and wow, now I'm kind of bloated and I don't feel so good. Okay, so broccoli, these cruciferous vegetables might not really sit well in your body. I ate a piece of bread and I'm a little nauseous. Okay, so maybe gluten isn't so good for you, whatever it is. And that doesn't necessarily mean shunning all of these foods, but just really giving yourself an opportunity to notice. And the more you notice, the more you sit with the feelings that actual food gives you. Okay, oh, I, I'm feeling bloated. I'm feeling sick. Just being with that feeling without trying to make it go away, without judgment then your mind sort of connects broccoli or gluten or whatever it is with this bloated feeling. And that is what will give you pause and eventually yeah. not even worry about going and taking foods that are affecting your bodies negatively. And the more you do that, the more mindful eating becomes intuitive eating and you're eating for your body. Yeah. But it is a practice, it's like, a practice. like the way mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. You started by saying the first advice you give is don't restrict things. Would you say the second piece is really be mindful or notice what you're eating, notice what you're feeling, and try to act based on those feelings versus any kind of cravings or quick reactions you might have? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You specialize in helping people with eating challenges, but you also focus a lot on self-esteem and relationship issues. How do these all sort of play together? And how do you think we sort of, and maybe this comes later, but let go of these thoughts and behaviors that are most harmful to us? Right. They all sort of go together, um, yeah. self-esteem issues, relationship issues. If we think about why we're here, the most basic of reasons as to why we exist, it's to further the species, <laughs> right? And it's very easy in animal models. In mating season, they mate, make more cats, foxes, whatever. But with us, mating is a whole nother issue. <laughs> we need to find love, we believe somehow that we need to look a certain way, act a certain way. And if we don't look or act this certain way, we aren't worthy of love and thus reproducing. So we start to do all of these things to manipulate the way we are seen by the person that we want to be seen by. And if we're not it's a blow to our self-esteem. We're not good enough. And it's not only for reproduction, right? Like that's just a product of falling in love. Not everybody wants to reproduce, but most people do want to fall in love. They do want to partner up. They do want to be with somebody who loves them and they will do anything that they can to make that work. So dieting and trying to be thin and trying to lose weight is ultimately for being perfect or being 
really attractive to the person that you're looking to love you or to anybody. So it gets very tied up in our minds. I am good enough. I have self-esteem if somebody loves me. And in order for somebody to love me, I have to look a certain way. And when I look a certain way and somebody loves me, then I can have self-esteem. This is horrible. This is a horrible cycle that you're talking about. And I guess my question after this would be, how do you untangle those things? Mm -hmm. That's so complicated. Well, very first thing is to not let a force outside of yourself dictate your self-esteem and dictate how good you are and whether you're right or not. It's about trying to care for yourself and give yourself love and support and find your own confidence within who you are. And once that happens, then the right person comes. (laughs) Then it's not somebody who is attracted to you because you've worked really, really hard to have a certain type of body. It's the person who sees you and sees who you really are. But the first person who has to see you and see who you really are and see your value is you. Otherwise, it's whatever you're putting out there is really confused and confusing. The most important relationship that you can cultivate is the relationship with yourself. And would you say that when we ask, how do we let go of the thoughts and behaviors that are really causing us to not love ourselves first? Yeah. Would you say that there are some tools or techniques, maybe using self-compassion, or you talk a lot about self-kindness being a deep part of recovery. And I mean, a lot of it is about what leads to self-love. So how do we get to that place where we can really love and take care of ourselves as we would our pet or our best friend or our partner? That's a good point that you bring up because your pet is... (laughs) Loves you with the most (laughs) unconditional love. You can just totally mess up and they still love you. You can go out and drink too much and act like a jerk and you come home and you're so ashamed of yourself and there is your dog still like licking you and loving you, (laughs) but your pets are the best and you could really learn something from them. So what I want to say is making the voices go away, the voices that say you're not good enough, you did this terrible thing, you're a terrible person. Fighting with those voices is, I want to call it futile because they're loud. Instead, what I like to have people do is find another voice and cultivate this other voice that is kind so that they actually have something in there that is an antidote to the unkind voices. So let's use that example. You went to a Christmas party, you drank too much, you were really uncomfortable with the way you acted, you wake up the next morning and you say to yourself, oh my God, I am such a loser. I want to hide for the rest of my life, (laughs) which I think is a pretty common occurrence. I see that a lot during the holidays in my practice. What I say is, okay, like you did something very human. Oh my God, you're human and you did something human. So let's, I always say, put your hand on your heart, take a breath and say that, take that part of yourself, that compassionate part of yourself and say, wow, this is really hard. I am human and I did something very human, something that people have been doing since the beginning of time. And that's part of being human and it's really hard. And it's really hard for me to feel really bad about myself also. Like 
oh, that part of you that feels so bad about yourself. Just hug that part. Just give yourself so much love and think about if your best friend called you up crying, saying, I acted so stupid last night, how you would just hug her and tell her like, it's okay, you are fine, you are human, you are perfect, people have short memories, everything's okay, you're okay. It's like reminding yourself, being really kind to yourself, like giving yourself a big hug and saying you're okay. These are big lessons for building up self-esteem. This idea of knowing that you're not perfect, no one's perfect, and then being able to forgive yourself versus harping on the imperfect stories of, I did this, I did that. And I see this in children now, strangely enough, that children are wanting to be so perfect that they're causing themselves so much stress and they're beating themselves up. And so how do we, with kids and adults, how do we avoid this trap of beating ourselves up, which of course takes us down horrible rabbit holes. Well, with all mindfulness, it's about noticing first off and then detaching from the story. So we have a feeling which is, let's say pain. And then we always have to justify the pain with a story. So the story is I'm not good enough. And with kids or teenagers, it's maybe I'm not good enough. I messed up on this test. So I'm not going to get into a good college and then I'm not going to get a good job and nobody's going to love me and I'm going to die alone. You know, these big stories that we invent and to justify the feeling that we're feeling and that makes everything so much worse. So with a mindful perspective, we just notice the feeling sad and, oh, there's all these stories connected to it. Let me just not be with the story right now. Let me not be with the story that justifies it. And let me just be with this really human feeling of sadness. It's okay to be sad. My psychopathology professor in grad school said, God gives us millions of feelings and we only let ourselves feel one. Fine. (laughs) Oh, but it's okay. I'm sad right now. And I'm just going to breathe into this sadness and appreciate that as a human, I have sadness and or anxiety whatever it is, and just be with it with courage, but not attach anything to it. And knowing that the sadness doesn't have to take over. And part of what, as you said, what makes the sadness take over or makes the feelings take over is going down the rabbit hole of these stories that we concoct to justify the feelings. They're just stories. They're just thoughts. They're not real. What's real is what you're feeling in the moment. So be with that feeling and know that it will change because as human beings, our feelings are really dynamic and they do change. And we don't have to be afraid of the feelings that we're feeling. We don't have to do anything to change them. Part of what we do is we concoct a story and then we do whatever we can to change that story. And that's where we get messed up. So as I said, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. That's why I'm sad. I'm never going to find somebody to love. Why don't I go on a big diet right now and make myself beautiful so somebody loves me and I don't die alone, right? Mm -hmm. And then the diet is what we connect to to help us feel better about ourselves, but ultimately it makes us feel worse. What if you could just be with the sadness without connecting anything else to it and then know that other things were going to come through as you gave space to your feelings, as you allowed them to be what they were, are in the moment. Okay, so I'm sad. This is it right now. It's okay. Mm -hmm. 
and we're all sad. Yeah. We all get sad and yeah. not, not try and fix it in the moment, but just That's right. be with it, not try and resist it, not try and fix it, but just sit with it. And then we don't go down that rabbit hole. Right. It's a lot of really great tools here for us as we begin the new year with a fresh start, because I think a lot of this applies to our lives in full. And I know you focus a lot on eating disorders and eating challenges, but I think a lot of these principles apply across the board. Oh, Uh, to everybody. Yeah, Yeah. right. So before we close, I want to just ask you one really general question. I think you even wrote a blog about this. Mindful versus mindless eating. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So mindful eating is when you first start noticing that you're hungry or that your body needs food and checking in and saying, what do I need? And eating where you're actually tasting your food and enjoying it, letting yourself digest. A big thing in my practice and with my clients is letting them digest and feel themselves digesting because that could be scary to people who have disordered eating. And it's also a way of understanding that you are getting your nourishment and nurturing and then sitting and feeling how that food feels in your body. Mindless eating is seeing food and grabbing it and eating it without thinking about whether or not you're hungry, without thinking about whether your body wants it or not, chewing it, swallowing it, sometimes not even chewing, just inhaling it, then reaching for more without feeling whether or not you're digesting, without noticing you're digesting, without noticing if your body is warming up, because usually we warm up when we're eating and digesting. You're just grabbing food, eating it, not noticing whether you're full, not noticing whether you want more, not noticing the taste of it. You're just grabbing it, eating it, and then not noticing how your body feels afterwards. So that's a quick little way of deciphering mindful eating versus mindless eating. And a way to practice mindful eating is to just take it slow. I mean, most of us can't practice mindful eating for every meal or all day long, but even just taking one meal a day or one meal a week to start with and sitting down with it and noticing, what am I feeling right now? Am I hungry? Does this food look good to me? Does it look nurturing? Am I excited to eat it? What does it taste like? How does it feel in my mouth? How does chewing feel? How does swallowing feel? How does digesting feel? How does it feel in my belly? Am I still hungry? I've gotten about halfway through this meal. Am I still hungry? No? Okay, I'll maybe put it away for later. Or yes? Okay, great. Let me keep eating. And really slowing down and noticing what your body feels like with food and what your mind feels like. You might have an instinct to speed up. I had one client who said that when she did her mindful eating exercise, she would get really angry because eating was something that kept her anger at bay and slowing down her eating brought up all her anger because she wasn't using food to repress the anger. So noticing what does food symbolize for you? What does it help you to do? What am I noticing when I'm eating slowly and mindfully and not just stuffing my food in my mouth really quickly? Again, using it as a practice to understand what eating is for you, what it means to you. Yeah, I think it's so important to think of this all as a practice. And I think people do just one or two of the things that you're suggesting. They'll see some pretty nice changes. So thank you so much for being with us today. This has been so insightful. Oh, you're so welcome. It was super fun. 
Thanks so much to Leora for being on our show today. For more information, check out her website at leorafulvio.com. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to download Meditation Studio in the App Store. We'll see you next time.